1: What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Duck De- Gun Podcast. Got Elliot with me tonight, and we are ready to dive into a good one with Ramsey Russell. But before we do that, let's, let's have a little uh, update from the home front. So something I wanted to um, mention was I actually went to my first ever dog training day uh, for HRC. So um, definitely a lot of fun and definitely a little embarrassing how far below the skill level chief is from uh, some of these dogs and dog trainers that do it all the time. So uh, definitely a lot of fun there. How's uh, How's your,
0: did you not anticipate that? Were you surprised? Oh no. By that? I mean,
1: you're right. You're right. Um, definitely. It wasn't like I was, uh, like super upset or anything with the outcome. Like you said, I had no expectations at all, which helped if I had high expectations, they would have been shattered though. <laughs> <laughs> it's like chief had no idea these guys
0: these guys didn't know how to train dogs their dogs are like robots
1: <laughs> yeah and i mean but i got to see like a good level of of like high quality dogs from like um from dogs that would run like 200 yards like through like into a fence line or into a into a tree line to get a blind and be, like, spot on for 200 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and they do they do it in a, in a cycle. Like, the way this thing was set up, they had four of those wingers, which are the bird launchers that just launch dead birds from remote. And, you know, anywhere from, like, you know, 70 yards, 100 yards, uh, maybe like 150 yards, and then the blind was, like, 200 yards. And so they'd, they'd sit them off in a, in a certain order, and the dogs would see it and make the mark, and they'd send it on it and some of them were like so good they literally would just go like straight to the bird all the way um some would you know miss it and they'd have to do the whistle and like the commands because they're fading you know left or right um you know but the best dogs i mean they were like grease lightning and (laughs) straight to the bird they'd grab it they'd come back um and they had the last one they had for their winger was a diversion and they'd shoot a bird as the as the dog was coming back that would come up and land almost like in the path of the dog. So, all, all the dogs would be holding the bird in their mouth and they'd see this bird coming, you know, to look at it, but they'd have to not, like, pretty much ignore it um, mm-hmm. and come up to heel by them. And then the last, the hardest part was that, you know, 200 yard blind into a, a tree line. So, it was really cool to see, like you said, what people could do with it. And, um, I mean, just the fire some of these dogs had, um, you know, whistle sit and they're just like, as they're sprinting out there, they whistle sit and it's like the dog was still like in motion as it would, like turn around and sit. And then, <laughs> you know, yeah. Freezing spot. And then they're doing the hand signals left and right. And, you know, there's guys that they'd they have more struggle than others. And, um, you know, for chief, it's like, he had no idea what we're doing. And the first one, you know, the biggest thing I think was, uh, when we duck hunt, you, and me duck hunt, right. We shoot our birds that 95% of them land right in that 30 to 40 yard circle um mm-hmm. or closer you know because the decoys that's how far you put them out and you're shooting the birds there in the land and every once in a while you have a sale, a bird that sells and usually i just you know if that happens i just pick up my gun and i know i'm already going um with my mm-hmm. with my dog to go get it but um so a lot of these bl- these marks that they're seeing your know, chief would shortstop him he'd run 100 yards and he'd like surely i ran over it by now <laughs> you know and yeah, uh yeah so it was hard. They to just didn't have an experience with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's just getting to that and like building the confidence and all that. But it was definitely a lot of fun and something I'm I'm actually I'm actually going to join the club and uh, do it throughout the year and really see where I can get chief on it. So I'm excited for that.
0: So from what you saw, because I know we had talked about at some point our goals might to be to enter our dogs into you know more low level competition or I don't know if they're not technically competitions, but. Um, do you feel like you can get chief to that level where you might be able to get him some form of ribbon at some time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so for sure. Um, and I've, you know, it kind of put a little fire under me this, this week to get him to a better spot. Cause it's like, I don't know. You just see it it's really cool seeing the other guys doing it with their dogs. And I know chief can get to that, to that level where he's following the camp, the commands and ma- I mean, maybe I'll never get his motor as high as some of these dogs, I mean, he does have a, a really, really high motor when, like, there's a goose. But it's hard to to get that same thing from, like, a, a dead Smelly duck or a bumper. Um, you yeah. know, but who knows? You know, I'll work with them and maybe on everything you can have increase. And, in. um, you know, I think I might even do. They have a, a, a hunt test in May. Um, and they have different stages. And I'm learning about all this stuff from, like, started to season to finish to champion to grand champion, I believe, um, how they go. Mm-hmm. But. Um, hopefully in the future we have somebody on I know that's another thing we we're talking about, but, um, that can better explain all that and, and those different, um, stages. Well, of certainly it. Chris
0: Jobman from Flatliner kennels could, I mean, we could have him on and just talk about that. I know he had more dogs up for grand, what's it? Grandmaster champion. I can't remember, but the highest level of HRC than any other kennel in the United States this year. Awesome. So it would be, you know, we could have him. I would love to get even someone that's a judge, which actually I have a contact that's a judge as well, and really talk about the ins and outs of these competitions. Because I my, I, I would love to be more informed on it. I, I would love to take Georgie to one at some point. Um, yeah. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, I know I ran her 175 yards, wasn't a blind, but it was the farthest she'd ever run, 175 yards, and man, she marked it great, and she didn't shortstop it, which I thought she would, and we, we did like a 125, 150, 175, and, and she didn't shortstop any of them, and so, you know, just from, it wasn't a blind, obviously, it was totally different, but it was the farthest she'd ever gone, and it certainly Made me happy. I was excited about it. So I would love to try to get her to some point where I could at least take her to one at some point. You and I could meet up at one in midpoint. That'd be just a dream.
1: Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing with all that, I'm sure there's a club around you too where you could go to some of these training days in preparation as well. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think the more I kind of looked into it, there's just, there's some, you know, all around, you know, there's these these clubs where guys are getting together. It was just, you know, um, you know, one thing that we always talk about with duck hunting, you know, um, duck hunters, there's just, you know, something we, we just have that common bond. And then even further, it's like having an even further bond, you know, uh, all these guys, I mean, there's 15 to 20 guys there. Um, and that many, if not more, I mean, there's more than that in labs. Cause everybody had a dog or two, you know, um, most people yeah. had two, <laughs> maybe not most people. Yeah. But you know, so it was just really cool, kind of seeing that. And I look across, you know, and is uh his Momar sitting there, and then uh, Zach was with me, um, Swamp Man, and Ellie was in her, her Momar sitting there too. And I keep looking across, and in every single dog's like keyed in, like standing there. You know how a dog looks when they're keyed in, um, mm-hmm. and it's just a, bu- a beautiful sight when you see a lab like that for whatever reason. I don't know why it just is, but you see the dog yeah. just keyed in. And I just look down, and there's just dogs, dogs, dogs. Everyone's keyed in watching the one working up there.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> That's cool.
1: Yeah, it was definitely pretty cool. So,
0: How did Swamp Man's dog do?
1: Um, she struggled on the first one, like I was saying, uh, similar to Chief, because they're just not used to the same kind of game. Um, and I th- you mm-hmm. think we'll get past that. And even then after that, she, he went a second time through, um, and she did really good uh, on the second time through. Um, so – Mm-hmm. you know definitely a lot we can learn beyond just marking you know that we got to do all the the rest of it with the whistle sits the hand signals the blinds and just building on that so actually we've met um twice now this week and and we started training our dogs together kind of so you can have the guy down there throwing the dummies further down and, and yeah. extending the range yeah. and and uh you then too you're working on your dogs honoring honoring each other and and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and and they already hunt well together so we knew they'd get along and all that kind of stuff but um definitely a lot easier having uh kind of someone to train with keep you accountable and keep you uh (laughs) keep you at it you know a little friendly competition between us too and it's not really competition because we both i mean we're going to be hunting with each other again next year and um we have two really really good dogs it's going to make everything a lot easier so
0: yeah for sure well that's cool i can't wait to all the updates on Chiefs, awesome. Chiefs uh, success.
1: You got any uh, uh, Georgie updates before we uh, jump on into this?
0: No, just that I just had her out um, running those long retrieves, and that was certainly fun. I'm I'm purchasing a shot collar here real soon, and I'm gonna be shot collar conditioning her, and then moving into force fetch, and doing um, gun introduction. So I just got to keep progressing on Freddie's videos. I feel like everything I've tried up to this point to in the videos, she is 100% mastered. So I haven't, I, you know, it's been a long process and it's been sl- gone slow with hunting season. But for where I've tried to take her, I feel like she has 100% mastered everything I've tried. So I'm, I'm certainly encouraged about she will go to place on a stand from 20 yards. or Whenever I tell her to go to, she'll sit there. We can, you know, I can throw her retrieves and I'm not even close to her over there on the stand. And and she won't break. And so, I mean, I'm really, really happy with everything that's happened so far. I just need to get that shot collar and, and keep moving. Keep moving forward.
1: Awesome. All righty. Well, let's go ahead and a quick word from our partners and we'll jump right on on right on in to the podcast. So, uh, first off, we'd like to give a big thanks out to HDR innovations guys. Uh, one, one product I want to highlight, um, from the HTR lineup is the Marsh stand. And that's something we got new this, or we got some new accessories coming on it this year, double tray, um, and the game strap on there. So, um, you guys have seen it in my video. You've heard uh, about us talking about it on the podcast and, uh, You know anytime you're hunting water um that is the perfect product to have keep your gun out of the water your ammo your blind bag um that's the way i hunt anytime in the marsh Um, especially your gun if you ever had your gun uh get grit in it or uh, moisture in it in the cold um you know that it's gonna have misfires and cycling issues right away and that can you know ruin the mood of a hunt real quick um, so don't let that happen to you. Definitely check out the HTR Marstan as well as their uh, Quack Pack layout, layout lounges, and A-frame at HTRInnovations.com and use code Gun Ten for ten percent off and free shipping.
0: Guys, um, head on over to Banded.com and over there you can access Banded Avery Greenhead gear. Uh, but right now they are gearing up for turkey hunting season. They've got hats vests, decoys, um, gloves, Jekyll and high decoys, everything that you need for your turkey hunting season. And also one area that I'm really focused in on right now, we we're just talking about our dogs, is every Sporting Dog. And you know, you bumpers or um, bags or they've got this really cool hat. It's a snapback brown and black. It's I gotta get out of my hand. I'm looking at it right now. And anyway, if you're looking to pick up your turkey hunting stuff or your um, dog training gear head on over to bandit.com and check that stuff out
1: awesome all righty guest for today ramsey russell let's go ahead and jump on into it what's going on folks thanks for joining me for another episode of the duck gun podcast i'm jordan from duck gun chronicles got my co-host Greybeard, the Grace of the gray alongside me tonight and our guest tonight is ramsey russell He has traveled the world from Mexico to Argentina, all across Australia, and in his pursuit of ducks. Um, So very happy to have him on the podcast. How are you doing tonight, Ramsey? Man, I'm doing good. How are y'all tonight? Doing great. If I
2: was doing any better, I'd be in a duck
1: blind. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's very true this time of the year, but uh, I guess for you, uh, with your travels, you might not get... um, the same duck depression that L's the rest of uh, the duck hunting community. Uh huh.
2: No, I'm over. I'm over that. Unfortunately, I'm not. You know what? It, it I Don't don't get me wrong. I love, and I mean love. I love the whole process of duck hunting. I love everything about it. I love to shoot ducks, but but I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't shoot them for vacation like my clients do anymore. I, I I'm I'm home for. I'll be home for about a seven or eight week stretch. And that's the longest consecutive stretch of time i've been home for four years and i'll deduct to wait they'll wait that long so uh (laughs) no i don't i don't suffer duck depression too bad awesome well uh
0: so how many how many days a year do you do you hunt how many hunts do you get i don't know you
2: know i i I think i think a very fair estimate of uh of hunting to include travel you know getting somewhere because a lot of places we hunt may take a couple of two or three days uh, days between hunt or something like that, but probably uh, 200, uh, 200 on the low side the last four years. As many as 225, 230. Uh, my wife on wow. a calendar up. She's she on she a calendar up uh, in the office, and she's gonna keep up with it this year so We can get a, an official estimate because we we just ballpark guess. We don't know. It's a lot. And uh, yeah. I, I I think in the past four years I've I've traveled uh, each of uh, every 12 months uh the last several years has been a particularly hectic uh because we've, we've not only been maintaining you know keeping the finger on the pulse of a lot of the, the hunt operations we work with and have worked with for 10 or more years but but then came the onslaught of uh quote discovered unquote, different hunting locations you know it, it's like uh, a lot of our clients are uh trigger pulling vacationers which i mean just go out and have fun and shoot a bunch and a lot of our clients are chasing unicorns and uh and you know it's a it's a big world out there it really is a big world it, it, and, and there, there's parts of the world that are a little too big for me to get into just yet I'm, I'm, I'm uh i'm struggling to crack a few nuts trying to get into certain parts of the world um, but but we just keep trying
1: so you, so you kind of alluded with uh you know um the places you work with and the clients you have so um, kind of go into, um, I guess, uh, a bit of detail on what exactly you do.
2: GetDucks.com get is what I do. And I, I love when people say, what do you do? You know, you know how it is when you're, uh, I don't know, just in a line at a ballpark or something. I say, hey, what do you do? I get ducks, huh? I, <laughs> I love it. I, I bring it on them every time. Yeah, I get ducks and Look, I've got a I've got a background in forestry and wildlife uh, from Mississippi State University. I, I I did a stint about sixteen years with the federal government uh, as a forester and biologist, and uh, mostly a forester. And uh, I love to duck hunt. And many years ago now, I mean maybe uh, the late nineties, right after right after grad school, I got my first job, I had a little coin, and I always wanted to shoot little Canada's. And uh, a friend and I, a professor and I, booked a trip up to uh, Saskatchewan, and it was a just complete and utter unmitigated disaster. I, I mean, it, it was it was looking back now, you really can't make up some of the things that went wrong. I mean, we we were we were placed with four great guys from Michigan. I mean, really good guys. I've lost contact with them 20 years ago. I wish I could meet those guys again because they were they were such fun guys to hunt with. And uh, we were told there were no snow geese. Uh, none at all. There's no snow geese. First off, we were told there'd be eight people in camp. There were 30, uh, primarily a bear camp. And uh, we, we just felt like we got taken advantage of. And the first morning, we were told to be ready at whatever, 5, 36 o'clock. we're all sitting on the front porch, the six of us, waiting on a ride to come. Everybody else was leaving camp and we're gone. And the sun came up. We were on our fifth pot of coffee probably when when our guide showed up and Mm. was three sheets to the wind from last night's drunk and took us hunting. Mm. And I think we killed one bird, a high bird somewhere. I mean, just got lucky. That bird just passed in the wrong stratosphere, you know. And uh, a couple days later, it, it was getting dire. And uh, and we were hunting in this, just it's really cold. Uh, we're in a bean field. Supposedly we were going to shoot some snow geese that weren't supposed to be there, and there were just tons of them trading overhead. And one of those Michigan boys was a Green Beret, and he cleaned out his action of his gun, unloaded it, laid it down, and said, "I'll be back." He just he took off, one of them fox shot tra- Charlie's. I mean, one of them Army Ranger trots. It disappeared over the horizon under those geese. And about 45 minutes later, here comes the quote guide, truck just wheeling up in the field with the Green Beret Drive. <laughs> and he whooped up in the decoy and said, Grab a decoy, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And man, he had followed those geese to where they were going. And it was, it must have been five square miles of snow geese. i never, I've not seen anything like it. The year was 1998. It was the first year you could shoot 20 snow geese. And, uh, and there was a, uh, a hell damaged field on a native reservation on one side of this great big hilltop, and there was a massive water roost on the other side. And we kind of drove off in the field, and the, and the geese just parted like, you know, Moses parted in the Red Sea. We threw out, I don't know, four or five dozen decoys and shot 30 or 40 snow geese, but we watched what those birds were doing, and they were trading from the water to the to the hill damaged field, just trading over over this hilltop. We we just got the heck out of Dodge a plan, and I never will forget one of those Michigan boys telling that guy that if if he wasn't at our place before daylight in time to pick us up, he he'd be buried somewhere on the horizon. And uh, we we stepped, we step we stepped outside the next morning, and the truck was running, and that boy was stone cold sober, ready to take us goose hunt. And we shot we shot a hundred and twenty snow geese in seventy one minutes. Oh wow! It it, it oh, was so gosh. horrific. I would I was shooting an over and under that morning, and it and the shooting was so horrific. I was loading top barrel only. Oh and,
1: wow!
2: <laughs> and and another team from the same outfitter had come in and set up down below us where we had set up the day before, and they they described it because as we were leaving, loading up limits snow geese. To go back to the lodge for lunch, they came in. We just left our decoys, and they moved in. And they they described it as watching a massive firework display when the, when the gun when the gun started going off. They said they they never seen anything like it. And and you know they shot they shot six more limits in that same spread before lunch that day. But but all that said and done, it was a disaster hunt. It was horrible. I never will forget never will forget this outfitter standing up on the table and clanging a pot. Bang, 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 bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear y'all complaining. I hear you, you know, about the sorry food. Well, guess what? We're having steaks tonight. So y'all just cheer up. I mean, just rude and crass and, you know, okay, well, great. We're going to have steaks because the food had been horrible. I mean, you know, it had been horrible. And we, we start walking to the mess hall that night. And one of our guys like, man, I can't wait to sink my teeth into a steak. And I said, well, Let's do what they call steak first. Cause I don't smell, I don't smell wood smoke. I don't smell charcoal going. And sure enough, they had just put a bunch of beef pieces in a great big old pot, and boiled it. That's what they call steak. It, it you, you can't, you can't make it up. You just can't make it up. Well, man, I paid a lot. I paid a lot of money for that hunt. I mean, I was young. I was married. I had babies. I mean, you know, money's money, man. It's hard to come by. And I felt like I just got ripped off i got ripped off man and i was mad but i was mad at myself now you got to remember this is 1998 the internet then was not the internet now there were a few chat rooms there resources were extremely limited but it was better than going through the back of magazines you know back in the old days and i, and I, I started calling outfitters and searching and I, I found a guy his name was jeff klotz uh, he's in alberta alberta i think it was alberta Alberta burned a flyway out there I think was his, was his company's name. He, he'd been retired for probably 15, 20 years now. And, uh, boy, I interrogated him. It was a combination between the IRS, the FBI, and somebody else, man. I mean, you know, just, just two hour interrogation, him all kinds of questions, talking buddies into going up there with me. And we had a, just, just had that kind of hunt for, uh, dark geese and, Ducks and dry fields that you always dreamed of. We shot big Canadas, little Canadas, some snow geese, Ross geese, specks, and uh, a bunch of duck. It, it was really a good hunt. Break, break, three years later, I showed up uh, for the third or fourth, I guess third year in a row. And he called me out to the barn and said, uh, hey, uh, in front of his whole staff, his whole guide staff, he said, Ramsey, we'd like you to be our booking agent. I said, what the hell is a booking agent? I'm a forester for the U.S. federal government. And they said, well, yeah, we get that. But, you know, you came up here a few years ago with four, then 10. Now 20, 20 some out of your contact are coming through camp, and we'd like you to start booking hunts for us. And, um, you know, I never will forget Jeff saying, man, you, you, your people show up. They know what to bring. They know how to tip. They know how to act. They know how to call. They know they they just prepared because you've talked to them on the phone, and that's all you have to do. And so, humbly enough, I was doing some habitat consultations at the time, and and uh, I, I, I just built a website because that was supposedly totally the thing you're supposed to do back in the, around 2000, early 2000, was have a website. and I built a website named getducks.com. It was an Alberta hunt and uh, a little bit of habitat consulting, and 17 years later, here we are. Uh, I left. I left. I left career federal government midway through a career. I left. I left the federal government uh, 12 years ago, and that's when things kicked into high ground. I mean, you know, when when a man all of a sudden has 80 to 100 hours a week to dedicate uh, to something, things get done. And and I'll tell you this. I'll share this with y'all. Uh, we're like travel agents for duck hunters. If you don't understand that, that's what we do. But I'll ask you, why, why would anybody call Ramsey and Anita Russell to book a trip to Canada off our U.S. hunt list now or Argentina or Mexico? Why, why would anybody do that this day and age? Because anybody with cellular connectivity, two bars of LTE and a smartphone, can find it. I mean, anybody can find anything on the Internet today. Why would anybody call me? Well, that's because the flip side of that coin is anybody can be anything. Now, look, I don't, I don't warranty that uh, every day you step out in a GetDuck.com dot blind is going to be lights out limits, especially in the North American continent. That, that's just uh, that's a little much to ask. But I can tell you this: it's going to be what we say it is. It's going to come together. Like I can't, I can't control airlines. I can't control outbreaks like coronavirus. But I can control what I can control. My wife can control what she can control. And the outfitters we choose to work with are what they say they're going to be. That's why. And, and after 17 years of building uh, a true reputation for credibility, a truth in advertising, a genuineness, uh, let, me, let me tell you all this. My, I don't know how y'all's morning start. Here's how my morning starts. I wake up, and I pick up my cell phone like everybody else in the world, and I look at my calendar. And, and I, I don't have a photographic memory. If I have 20 clients in travel status, I can't recall that. But I'm aware. I'm aware that, that, that Jordan is in travel status today. I, I just I read it. Boom, I look at it. Who's where? And, and if I haven't learned but one thing in 17 years, if, if someone calls me and I know they're in travel status, everybody's in my phone. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting on a tractor or sitting in an airport or sitting at home we're sitting at the office no not matter where in this world i'm sitting all my clients are in my phone at all times and when somebody calls me and, and i know they're in travel status here's what i know for a fact they're not calling about they're not calling to tell me it was the best margarita they ever had they just shot a double banded bird that is not why they're calling they're calling to tell mm-hmm. me we're stuck in an airport or so, somehow the wheels have come off the track can you help and and uh, we hear so much about it. As recently as a week and a half, two weeks ago, a client came in from Azerbaijan. He got into a little of a uh, customs. Just I don't know if the guy was inexperienced He didn't know what he was doing. Probably a little of both. But uh, he needed somebody to call at ten thirty at night, and we were able to help him. And uh, that that's what we do. You know that that is that's in a nutshell what we do. We we kind of the model of. Booking agent, quote unquote, that GetDuck.com is built on. Back in the old days, it worked like this: there wasn't an internet, and so a booking agent would go meet some a quarter of a dove outfitter. And there was really no other way for that outfitter to market himself but going to conventions, maybe a few magazine ads, and, and that was just kind of it. And and they had to, man, they had to market by the short hairs. Now, I mean, you know, they they did. It, it was right Pillage and Plunker back in those days and, and little accountability. And uh, and it's like, you know, the way it would typically work is here's my hunt, here's my product, and take it or leave it, we'll pay you a commission. And humbly enough, that's how we started. And about 15 years ago, uh, I met the right partners down in Argentina, and they had had a few French and a few Italian clients. And we sat down uh, after dinner, after a couple glasses of wine, we sat down. And they did something a little differently. They broke out a notebook and a ballpoint pen and were ready to take notes. And they said, Mr. Russell, we've been doing this for years. We've dealt with European hunters, but we've never had American guests like yourself. Tell us exactly how you want this hunt to run. Well, you know what? After 10, 12 years of dealing with American clients, I knew what my clients expected of a hunt for example um, we don't eat dinner at 10 o'clock at night latin america does i mean argentina they eat dinner at 10 o'clock 11 o'clock at night that that's just how they they roll we eat dinner at 6 37 o'clock we come in from hunt and take a shower have a have a have a have a cold drink and we're ready to eat dinner and go to bed am i right you know just little things like that and uh and so from that point, when we were able to go in and fully customize a program based on what we knew from client feedback for more than a decade, our clients wanted and expected of a hunt, uh, that was, that was kind of when our model changed completely. We, 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 we represented a lodge at one time that, that I would, I would uh, describe as a very elegant operation. A very, very elegant, very, very expensive operation down in Argentina, very heavily advertised to this day. And something interesting was that after seven years, I never had a client repeat book. Never. I never had a client, no matter what they wrote or how good a time they had, they never rebooked that trip. And that's, that's disturbing. You know, for a lot of us, going on a trip like that is once in a lifetime. For a lot of my clients, wow, it's every year or more. And, uh, they're just at a, a place in life. They're, 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 they're retired. They're, they're liquid. You know, they, they've sent their kids to college. They've paid for their home. They're bored. They've, they've got time and money to do these kind of things. And we just, we, we, we realized, um, one year at convention, um, a client, a guy walked into the booth and he described what he was looking for and I put two to two together. The guy could afford to do anything he wanted to and I defaulted into that five-star details and he was very patient. He listened to me and he said, Whoa, 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 son. Whoa, wait a minute. Reel it in. Whoa, boy. And uh, he said, he said, you got me hung on the wrong peg. I said, sir, he said, he said, let me tell you, boy. He said, there's not a lodge in that country that rivals my guest house. Not one. He said, there's not one down there that rivals my guest house. He says, but if you want to if you wanna come to my duck camp, it's a 10 by 70 mobile home on some of the best dirt in the Katy, Texas prairie. My granddad moved it in. If you want a place to sit at my camp house, to eat dinner, to eat that ribeye steak off a paper plate, you're going to have to pull a lab off the couch. He said, He said, so What I'm telling you, son, I, I want to go on a real duck hunt. I want to be among real duck hunters. I want an authentic experience. If I want all that other baloney, I'll take my old lady to Italy. Man, that, it, it, was, it was like a slap on the face. I'm like, Holy cow, he's right. And so. We started going out. I started going out. I had some uh, associates at the time that were deployed, and we spread out over the, over the country weeks at a time and put our feet under a lot of tables at a lot of different lodges and began to put together a portfolio of Argentina hunts, then Mexico and other places around the world that represented what we feel like are real duck hunts for serious duck hunters, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've used that line, you know, because people do call up and, and they do. I mean, I, I do get on the phone with somebody and, and their first real serious 30-minute line of questioning is about accommodations and, you know, they they want something uh, like the Hilton experience or the Four Seasons experience. And I'll tell you all this after after nearly 20 years in the business. I'll, I'll tell you real quick, I've used that line a million times. You know, if you want all that mess, Take your wife to New York City. Take her to Paris. You want to shoot a bunch of ducks? Call me because that's what we go for. We go to duck camp. And if it happens to have five-star lodging, well, great. But you know what? Most of them don't. Most of them are duck camp, like I think of duck camp. There's not a lodge we hunt in the world that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be just happy at a pig and slop to pick up, put in Mississippi and call a duck camp. They're fine. They're great. They're comfortable. They're warm. They're clean but they're duck camp. No 10 by 70 mobile homes, I'll tell you that. They're nice little stonchers, but they're not opulent. You don't need edible art. That's not why people travel halfway across the world. Now, break, break, Argentina, Mexico, those are trigger-pulling vacations. You're always going to have fun down there, always have fun relative to how we hunt here, especially in the deep south Mississippi. A lot of our hunts are way off the beaten path. You know, it's kind of like uh, as we became uh, – it, it, we became more mainstream, and, and we gained more clients. We became more involved with Safari Club International, Dallas Safari Club, some of these other types. You know, uh, we began to cultivate a client type that was what I would describe as very serious—a very serious duck hunter. Now, now, hold that thought, because let me tell you all this: what I've learned traveling six continents duck hunting—there's no form of human race. On Earth is serious about duck hunting as America. We are the most serious. We are the most hardcore. We are the most obsessed, and frankly, I think we're the best duck hunters. I really, I really, truly believe that we have elevated every single aspect of duck hunting to art form. Our decoys, our ammo, our camo, our gear, our waders, our guns, our boats, our motors, every bit of it. Is, is is just space age art form functional art all about shooting the duck more comfortably better longer colder you see what i'm saying that that's us you know we 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 uh we really did write uh the playbook i think of what a lot what passes as duck hunting a lot of the world and and we um slowly but surely have cultivated what i believe are the one and five and ten percenters within then. i mean serious guys you know there's a lot of folks out here that are collecting 41 species in north america i think they're 50 to include subspecies what do you do after you've collected that 41 or that 50 go play golf heck no man it's a big world but people start coming to us and you know I, i've got uh, probably a client list of two or three dozen clients that. You never know what the phone or email is going to bring tomorrow or, or what I'm going to stumble across uh, out there traveling uh, or just talking to people around the world. You know, uh, we, we stumbled on Azerbaijan a few years ago, and it seemed like there were decent prospects at shooting red-crested poachers, periginous poachers, common poachers, tufted ducks, Eurasian widgeons, kind of some really cool birds that, Without getting too far off into Asia, which is a tough nut to crack, there's hardly any hunting down there to be had. Uh, we could pick up some of these really cool unicorn species, and and, and when I when I find those hunts, I, I've got I've got three dozen ready-made clients ready to go for that next big adventure. They've done all the rest of them. We've got now they're looking for those other species. And, uh, and, where is? And,
0: I saw that on your website that Azerbaijan. Where is that exactly?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I had to look it up on a map myself. And uh, Azerbaijan is 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 a uh, it's formerly formerly uh, Soviet block. You know, USSR Soviet bloc, Russia. And uh, but it is it is located on the uh, west bank of the Caspian Sea. Uh, east of the Caucasus Mountains in Turkey, north of Iran, south of Georgia, not the state, but the, the former Russian province, uh, south of Russia. So it's just right there, uh, kind of in that Middle East hub. And, and, it, and it's a, it's an amazing country. I Right now, I, I love it uh, as much as any hunt I've done. I, I like, I like, I like wild. I like wild. Mm-hmm. I like new, I like... I like real fundamental duck hunting is what I find out I like. I like real old-school fundamental duck hunting, and I've never been anywhere like Azerbaijan.
1: Um, so kind of h- hitting those, on that, um, you're saying, like, wild, you love those wild um, hunts, and um, I know you said previously, or maybe I maybe I uh, saw it in one of your films, but it took you, some of those places, it takes you multiple days to get there. So, Oh, um, yeah.
2: I, look, Azerbaijan's... Uh, I think by the time I've kissed my wife on the cheeks and stepped into the airport, to the time I, shoot, to the time I set foot in a hotel room uh, in Baku, which is the most beautiful city I've ever been in, um, I've been about 35 hours. You know, and that, that's, a, wow. that's a long stretch. And, and there's, a, there's other places you can go. Uh, you know, I'm 40 hours a lick is. is, is, is you start traveling halfway across the world. There's just no easy way to get there. But I, but I, you know what, you know what I like. In, in a day and age, technology is very very good. Um, who can live without it, right? Why would why live without it? But you know what I what I what I really find myself liking in, in duck hunting. Uh, maybe it's a function of age. I like I like the, the hard boiled fundamentals. You know what? You don't need a $3,000 shotgun, three-and-a-half-inch shell at $2 to trigger pull, uh, $79 dollars fully fuzz decoys, a, a $40,000 boat, a $50,000 truck, a $600 ice chest, a $2,000 retriever, blah, 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 blah. You don't need all that to kill a duck. You really don't. I mean, you you really don't. Yes, it makes it more comfortable. Yes, it gives you advantages, and I'm all about stacking odds and my advantage gets a mile in my own manner. but I really like the fundamentals you know what i'm saying because because we, we can we can load the truck with it, with as much technology as we want to and it will it will help us and keep us more comfortable and make us more productive but it does not substitute for the fundamentals of duck hunting i look at it like you give an eight-year-old a 500 hundred dollar aluminum bat you know what if that kid ain't got the fundamental for for, for hand-eye hey co- coordination, boom, to hit the ball, $500 bat's meaningless. He, he, he could do just as well with, with, a, with a $20 wooden stick as he can with a $500 aluminum bat. It's all about the fundamentals, and that that's what I like about duck hunting. That's what I like about a lot of the countries we go to to duck hunt. Azerbaijan, we, we, we stay in this little farming community. We get up every morning. We drive 20 minutes to a big old wetland out there and the staff is, is just uh, poor country people, but they know how to duck hunt. They, they market hunt. They feed themselves. They make a few few, few extra dollars duck hunting. Uh, some of them are literally market hunters. And we meet them, and we step out of the truck and into a tiny little P-Row. And they stand in the back and push poles 30 minutes, 45 minutes, wherever we're going in the dark, through the rat maze of trails, whatever, and we come out and we place a couple of dozen of, except for the ones we've shipped over there and brought ourselves, uh, some of those, those decoys are pitiful. I, I've literally hunted over pop bottles over there. <laughs> and uh, But it works. We, 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 get, we go where the ducks want to be. We get perfectly concealed. You don't sit around and play on your phone. You play for keeps, um, and you wait, and you hunt. And they call with their mouths, and they use electronic calls. They don't bait. Uh, i tell you something funny. We got out there so early one morning, it was pitch black dark. I mean, pitch black dark. I'm going to say it was an hour before equivalent light to what we would call legal shooting time in the States. I'm going to say it, it was about that dark. And I was with a Zari hunter, a guide. And we threw our decoys out and he turned on a call. They, they use electronic calls, perfectly legal. And there's a reason uh, we don't use them here in the States because they do work at times. And he turned on Gadwall. Mank, 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 turned on a Gadwall call. It's pitch black dark. I can't see the end of my gun barrel, but I can hear birds overhead. I can, I can hear their wings slicing, I can hear them flapping. As they adjust, I can hear 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 them talking back to the call. Not tons of ducks, a few. And he motions for me to shoot. Well, I looked up. I I might have imagined the duck flying in that that <laughs> darkness, you know. And about this time, looking kind of towards the sun, a duck lined up, squared up, coming right over the decoy. It was pitch black dark, but I could clearly see the duck. And he kind of flitted around over to the left. He's flitting, 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 flitting right out front, 15 yards. Boom! My shot, I missed. Oh boy, he got he got all sideways and catty corner. Couldn't believe I missed. And, I'm, and I tried to indicate sign language. You know, it's pitch black dark. I kind of squinted like a blind man finding my way around. You know, I said it's too dark. But I handed him my gun and I sat down. And I hunted with this guy for three years, and he went into absolute fierce intensity game mode. I don't know how that man could see now. Now me sitting in the chair looking up i see him look to the left, and I'd look to the left, and slowly but surely I could, I could put together those patterns of ducks. And he waited, and he crouched, and he was just, just spinning around in his track 360 degrees with a fierce intensity, like a cat watching a bird he's fixing to pounce on. And he's watching and watching and watching. And about that time, the bird came over. Boom, he shot. bird fell 35 yards away, dead at a wedge. And I handed him another cartridge. I handed him another cartridge and watched it do it two or three more times. You know, they they hunt like that. And I, I don't know if a lifetime of legal shooting time or just old age has got me, but I, I could not see the shoot that early in the pitch black dark. My math don't work. My 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 instinct is off in pitch black darkness. I need to see the bird and uh, to, to formulate the shot. But, but, you know, it was just a, a level of intensity and a level of old-schoolness that, that I so love when I hunt there with those guys. They they are, they are and you know, one of my clients was telling me this year, he goes, man, I you, you, I just wish I could speak their language. I wish you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, man, just relax. You're a duck hunter, and he's a duck hunter. And you know what? You don't have to speak the same language verbatim. Trust me, just hand motion, do a little mime, and... He gets it. He's a duck hunter, and after the honey goes, man, you're exactly right. That that guy, he knew before I knew, and I knew before he knew, and we got along just fine. I said that's the way it is. You don't, you know, just <clears throat> I've just noticed you can put you can put four people from four very very different walks of life into a duck blind, and ninety nine times out of a hundred. In that moment, for that time being, they're duck hunters above race, politics, religion, anything else. They're duck hunters, and that, that's one thing I really, truly like about duck hunting that I, I don't think I could say about any other form of hunting. But uh, it, it is social, and you don't—you can have language barriers, and still, if everybody's a duck hunter, they know. What's going on? They know how to shoot zones. They know how to, what the setup is. They know what the playbook is. It's uh, it, it's pretty interesting over there, you know. So that that's really and, and I've said this in the past. It took I, I don't know when I realized this, but like a lot of my clients, like a lot of your listeners, I started off collecting species. Oh, I've got tons of stuff. Duck dust collectors hanging around, you know. But uh, but, I, but I realized one day that I really wasn't collecting species; I was collecting experiences. You know, we we tend to think of duck hunting in the context of mallards and Canada geese, and and I don't. You just can't apply that to the 125, 130 some odd species. Worldwide, that they're already duck hunt. You just, you just, you know, some of these ducks, they don't decoy. They, they're not sociable. They don't play by the rules. They're breeding during the during the duck season. When you can hunt them, or they're breeding. When you are hunting, it's just, just a, a, a it's a million, million different reasons that you can't hunt red crested poachers the same way that you hunt mallard duck. the just is the same decoys, calls, bread, concealment. The fundamentals are the same, but the game is different. It's as different as basketball and baseball. It's just different. And, and, and you, you, you've got to, you know, like I'll, give, I'll tell you all this last story about Azerbaijan. It was the first record, the first time in recorded history that Moscow, Russia, did not have snow at Christmas. Well, what do you think happens when it's warm up north? Some of the birds don't move. The photo period migrators move, the pintails, the teal, the wigeons. A lot of those birds moved down this year. The uh a lot of the poachers, a lot of the hardy divers did not. And so it was it was a little bit of a weak migration this year over in Azerbaijan. Still a heck of an experience. But you know, it it as much as I want to shoot a limited ducks or a strap of ducks when I'm hunting, I find out that tough hunts, tough hunts, where I have to play for absolute keeps. I can't fiddle far around. I have to sit in a blind, intense. I have to be looking. I have to be ready at all times. It, it, and then, and then when the birds come in, I have to be patient. That first pass may not be it. I've, I've got, I've got a note. Are these bird, looking like they might spin back around Do I need to well into them on the first pass because they're not really set up maybe that first pass like I want them. I might clip one, but I'm not going to be able to kill more than one. So what do I do? Or, or, they, or they, they make a high high pass high and they're looking. Crouch down, call them, don't take your eyes off, wait them out, be patient. Because when times are tough, I don't want to kill one. I want to kill all three of them. And, uh, and, and that, it, it makes me a better hunter. It's more rewarding to me to leave with a hard-earned duck than just a dumb duck is easy. It, it, if that makes sense, it really it really uh, I really I really still enjoy that part of it. I, I, I enjoy the game of duck hunting.
0: I've got a couple questions for you, just things I'm thinking about listening to you talk. Um, in these other countries, do you find the birds are easier to decoy, the majority of them? Um, and do you have to conceal less than here in America where there's so much more pressure? And my, the second question I'd like, I'm curious about is what species of duck found it to be the most difficult to decoy in and shoot? Yeah, you know, uh, the first
2: question. You take Azerbaijan, for example. Those guys, I think their season starts sometime in September. It ends in early March. That's a long season. But the wetlands start getting shot for ducks the minute they start showing up. It's a part of the world that uh, they're they're not in plain view near town, but outside of town on country roads, they're still lining up like it's like selling boiled peanuts and, and fresh produce on the, on the side of the road in the deep South. I mean, these guys are selling fresh killed ducks on the side of the road. I don't forget one time we were going to a boat ramp and I'm used to seeing coots that nobody fools with. When you pull up to a boat ramp, they just kind of bob their heads and swim off into the reeds, you know, uh-uh. down there. If, if they, they so much as here, the, the, the gentle knock of a paddle on the side of a wooden boat, they fly for their lives. Um, uh, <laughs> Cause they know they're in trouble and uh so so those birds are are hunted hard and I, and I noticed this year uh the wetland we were hunting uh there were fewer there were fewer market hunters and more sports more as sports hunting that wetland this year and It's really kind of a success story as hunters as conservationists. There were some water management control issues in that basin, and a group of uh, my partner over there and, and several others approached the government about a fix, putting in some water control devices and diversions and whatnot to hold more water and better habitat. The government didn't want to spend money on it, so this private consortium offered to do it in exchange for increased management opportunities of who comes in and how it's hunted on this massive well but i noticed something interesting you think well there's less market hunters and i'm not saying one thing or another i'm just gives me reason to think i just wondered to myself okay what this observation here those market hunters are out there with hand-loaded shells and i'm I'm talking old-timey like, like old-timey loads, it, they, they wouldn't even crimp. A lot of, those, lot of those market hunters wouldn't even crimp the plastic shell, the, the <laughs> plastic shotgun shell. They, they would literally just pour powder and uh, put the lead and seal it off with wax probably. I'm, I'm going to guess 700 feet per second, you know. And those birds had to be close, and they had to play a really clean game to kill them birds. They You know, it's true market hunting, okay, benefit costs and all that bull. Well, here come, here come some of the recreational hunters, and I noticed they were just, like a lot of people in parts of the world, they were shooting at anything. And, I mean, I've always said kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's not sky-busting, it's something fall. Man, when I'm seeing people shoot at 150 yards high bird, ain't nothing going to fall, you know what I mean? And, um, and I, I just wondered this year the difference I saw between the distinction between a market hunter and a serious hunter versus a sport it was, a, it was an obvious difference. And uh, I felt like, on the one hand, uh, those ducks were very heavily pressured. You would see them flying differently. They were stale acting. But at the same time, if you were where those ducks wanted to be and you were hidden and you played a clean game, they came in. You You just had, you just had to play a good, clean game and play by the rules and wait them out and my god when you got those opportunities don't miss that, that's a part of it too don't miss you know if three birds come in don't shoot just one kill all three you know that's part of it and and uh I, I do i do know what you're saying some places we go to you know ducks are ducks and they're a prey species i'll tell you one of the most beautiful hunts uh we looked into one time we were in mongolia and we were killing birds and uh, operator decided a couple of us needed to go further north and explore. And we got up there, and it was it was still iced up. And a lot of the birds weren't there. And uh, we decided we were going to fall back to the first camp again. And as we were, we'd been up there just scouring around the mountains and valleys, laughing all day, looking for birds and looking at a lot of frozen water. And if we were leaving, there was a little shallow depression in this little valley. Oh, it must have been nine... 9,000-foot elevation, but it's just where the the snow melt had accumulated. The water was about 12, 13 inches deep for an acre. And as we were driving by, it was black with mallards and pintails, just black. And I stopped, and we looked, and we glassed it, and I I told the operator, I said, ma'am, got to come back here and hunt this in the morning. It's not the species we were after. But who could turn this opportunity down? You know these birds haven't been hunted and pressured. And the problem was, in Mongolia, there's 3 million citizens. It's a massive country. I'd say it's half the size of the U.S. There's 3 million citizens and 30 million head of livestock and not a single strand of wire. They still graze the landscape nomadically, just like they did back in Genghis Khan's day. And drove down to the water's edge and there was no cover. I mean, they had run cows and sheep and goats and horses and yaks and camels and everything had taken its turn grazing that land where they just eaten it down to dirt. And we thought, how the heck are we going to hide here? What do you do? And I remembered he had stopped and talked to a family that lived in one of the little round, they call them yurts in Russia. They call them gers in Mongolia, those little tent, little round tent houses with a stove in the middle. I noticed he talked to a family, and I noticed they had a small little, a uh, few livestock and some bales of hay. And I said, do you think that guy would sell us a couple of bales of hay? He says, probably. What do you want with it? I said, well, we might make some cover out of it. I said, how much do you want? And I don't remember what the guy said, but it was something astounding, like 38472 mongolian dollars well how much is that And you know six bucks i said yeah let's go buy let's go buy a couple of bales (laughs) so so we so we go back and we buy a couple and i'm telling you though that that family the look on their face what in the world do these americans that don't even have livestock want with bales of hay why would they pay us all this money for bales of hay and they don't even have livestock and we we went back down there the next morning through a few decoys, we didn't have but about a dozen and a half decoys, and we we uh, we we took a, just a I don't know about ten inches thick a couple of sheaves of that hay and laid it behind us, or kind of covered up our packs where we could use it for a backrest and a pillow, and then we just buried it up under the rest of the bale. Each of us just sitting there covered up with hay, and it, it was a it was a very nice hunt. I wouldn't say it was just a, a slammer, but we shot plenty of birds. Uh, shot a few. Uh, ruddy shell ducks and some mallards and pintails and you know mongolia has zero duck hunting culture zero zero it's not it's not in anything to do with what they do or how they think or who they are as a culture or people or where they are in this world they they just don't think ducks now our staff knows where to go they know where there's water and they know where the river is and they know kind of how to glass and find and put you in ducks but there's eight of them on staff, the cooks and whatever you know around camp. And there's one pair of knee boots among all eight of them. And it's the kind of hunt that you have to show up with your with your bag of tricks and your game plan and make it happen. And I like that. Um, we go over there. That we don't go over there to shoot mallards and pentails. We're over there shooting ruddy shell ducks, common shell ducks, bar-headed geese. The only place on earth I know to hunt them uh, for for us Americans, us westerners, still. Um, and swan geese. And then Eurasian wigeons or Eurasian green wings, probably some gargany, occasional tufted ducks, something like that. But we're over there for those big unicorn species, the bar headed goose and things. And so, uh, but we couldn't pass up this opportunity. And the, our, our host had gone back. He, he dropped us off. We'd set up. He'd gone about a half mile away, sat up on the side of the mountain and sat in his truck drinking hot tea and watched us through binoculars. And as he came up after the hunt, we got out and waved him over. It's time to head back south. We waved him over and he came up he says, That was amazing. I said, What? And he goes, Those birds would come off, come down the valley real high and they they'd get above you and they start all of a sudden they they just start circling right above y'all. And and then they would, would sweep and they'd hook and they came right in. And I reached in my pocket and pulled out a call. bang, His eyes got big. He goes, That that's that's incredible, and he started looking at our ducks. And it was all drakes. He says thousands of ducks. What are the odds you would only shoot boy ducks? And we said, gala. That's the whole point. We're not we're not hunting to we're not hunting to eat. Although we did eat those ducks; they were delicious. We're not hunting for food. We're, we're hunting. It, it, it's a trophy. It's a sport. Well, you know, no, no. When I started putting it in his ibex because he's an ibex guy. When I started talking about ibex. Oh yeah, he clicked. His eyes got big, and I saw the light going. He goes, "I get it. I I, I never realized this until I watched y'all hunt." You know, he'd never seen anybody call and decoy birds. He'd never seen anybody select drakes only. Uh, he he didn't he didn't get that. It's just a foreign concept to him. But it was a very rewarding experience to share that with somebody. Um, other, other places you go, one, one thing you got to remember is a lot of places we go does not have the hunting pressure that North America has. They, they don't have the hunting pressure. And, and uh, that makes a huge difference. It, it really it, – mm-hmm. are the ducks easier to kill? Yeah. Uh, they can be. Uh, and I don't mean look there are places that are still legal to bait ducks uh we we have some hunts down in argentina they bait them and uh it, it's a it's a it's a massive geography i mean just imagine uh the entire southeast u s having fairly good duck habitat and there's a hundred people hunting that the whole southeast u s tomorrow morning how are you gonna concentrate those ducks they bait them mm-hmm. you know but but that's that's shooting ducks to me. It's not it's not the hunt, it's not the magic, it's not the relationship that I crave to have with that resource. And uh that, that's the takeaway for me is as for the, the, the hardest duck to kill, um that'd be tough. I, I, I would I would just say that, that a, a stale educated duck or a duck that, that you know um I don't believe that ducks are smart. They, they've got a brain the size of a lentil. They they react to a lot of environmental cues. They react to a lot. They react instinctively. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, they they are they do become cautious. They do become educated. They do recognize the sound of a shot. They they recognize a foreign sound. They recognize a foreign movement. I've hunted ducks so stale. If you blink your eyes, they bounce you know and mm-hmm. and those are those are tough you know ask my favorite duck sometimes i say it's the next one over the decoys other times i, I say yeah. the truth a dumb duck i like to hunt dumb ducks. final answer you know what I'm play <laughs> dumb dumb ducks are fun to hunt they play the game
1: yep definitely <laughs> well man that's a that's a a lot to think about there um you know with all with all your travels and all, all the duck hunting there um, but yeah, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a passion that got out of hand.
2: Uh, <laughs> it really did. You know, uh, uh, it's a, it's a slippery slope and it got out of hand. And, uh, <laughs> fortunately we were able to make a living doing it and, uh, a pretty decent life. Uh, we, we, we built a lot of tremendous friendships around the world, uh, doing this, but, but the world is a real big place. And I, I, I'll say this, as somebody, it, it's funny how. A lot of times, it seems like life tends to run a full circle. You know, you know what I mean. It's it, 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 you start off. It's like you wait off into this massive marsh, and uh, there's ducks getting up ahead of you, and, and you, you you set up and you shoot and you're around the curve, and you jump shoot a few, and you're just slogging away. You know, just enthralled with it all, and it's like you walk around this corner, and well, that's right where you started, right back where you started, and you know. The world is a really nice place. There's a lot of cool species and cool cultures and things to do. But the U.S., um, things have changed in the last 20 years. It's indisputable for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Waterfowl and waterfowl hunting has changed. But the United States is blessed, I mean truly blessed, with with, uh, a federal government that does censusing and sampling of the population that, that i'm aware uh no other country in the world does breeding pair counts and may pond counts and uh, estimates of breed and estimates of harvest and band recoveries nobody researches birds that trust species like they do here and if, if you really think about it think about that the uh, Tremendous diversity of hunting situations and hunting styles just between sea ducks and diving ducks and puddle ducks and light geese and dark geese just here in America. Now break it down further into flyways or the local local traditions and cultures, like if you travel to Washington and Oregon versus Real Foot Lake versus uh, southwest Louisiana versus, versus the northeast versus up in y'all's neck of the woods versus mine. Look at all the different call types. I'm, I'm talking real traditional call types. I know that everybody orders calls out of Max Prairie Wing anymore, but, but really and truly they don't. I mean, you, you get into, I've, I've been into a lot of locations in duck hunting, in America, where if I sit there and listen to how they're calling, the cadence and, and, and the tempo and the sound is a lot different. How they feed chatter and how they work the ducks is different there than it is five hundred miles away, a thousand miles away. The techniques they deploy, the different, the different te- uh, little tricks, bags, of trick. To me, it's fascinating to go and 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 experience that. I mean, you know, a lot of my top bucket list hunts. In the world right now, or right here in the United States, and when you start talking Canada goose hunting, like like you guys up north do, man, that opens up that opens up something entirely different. I can call a Canada goose. I mean, a little bit. I I've I've called them in and killed them, but but then I go up I go up north up to the northern tier, and I don't know if you guys cut their teeth on Canada goose calls, and it, it's like it's like it's like finding a whole new religion. You know, because for a deep, for a deep, for a deep South, somebody from the deep South down here, we don't have a Canada goose hunting culture like y'all do in the northern tier or down the Midwest. And it it's fascinating to me. And even the distinction between hunting the big boys versus the little cacklers, total different ball game. Total different ball game. It, it, it's 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 uh, a America. Waterfowling is is a. Is a it's an incredible place to, to experience, you know, so you don't have to leave the United States to have a great fit.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And I definitely, (laughs) uh, I could, I think I could listen to your, uh, (laughs) your stories about, um, hunting across the world, um, all night. Um, but I think right now is a perfect time, um, to play, play a little game that we do on the podcast. It's called the lightning round. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and, ask you some questions, some quick questions with some quick answers. Um, And it kind of, you know, just shows us a little bit more about you as a duck hunter. So let's go ahead and jump on into it. Uh, So what kind of gun do you shoot? Benelli. Is that a Super Black Eagle 3 or?
2: Uh, Super Black Eagle 3, uh, Super Black Eagle 2, M1, M2. Yep. Uh, I like, I like, I really do like Benelli shotguns.
1: Awesome. And then, uh, what kind of shells do you run, boss? No, no doubt. And and I
2: I've, I've got to uh, this ain't gonna be a quick short answer. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I've right. got to fly off into this. You know what? When when I'm I'm 53 years old, and when I was about 20, I'm gonna say I was around 20 years old, 2021 was when they made the mandatory swats swap to non-tox shot steel, and it was unbelievably deplorable. Yeah, um, it was horrible. It was horrible beyond horrible. Uh, they, they, the technology the technology for steel shot today is light years beyond where it was when they first came out with it 30 years ago. And you know, we found out we collectively duck hunters found out real quick that you would damage those old guns shooting steel shot through them. Uh, countless are the older shotguns, the barrels were bulged, the chokes were torn up, the barrels were destroyed. Shooting steel shot, and then then we had to go out and and you know balancing the whole mass and mass and speed equation, uh, you know you had to shoot bigger shot sizes and you had to shoot it faster. You know, prior to the steel shot mandate, every gun, my, mine, my dad's, my granddad's, my brothers' every gun we had in the house with a two-and-three-quarter-inch chamber. I shot two-and-three-quarter-inch sixes or seven-and-a-halfs at duck with, a, with a modified barrel, mm. and that's all I'd ever duck hunted with. And uh, all of a sudden, we had to get a new gun, get three-inch, get three-and-a-half-inch, get all this stuff, shoot 1,800 feet per second. Man, look, I duck hunt worldwide to this day. Uh, and Australia, Netherlands, parts of Sweden at times, you are shooting over water. United States and Canada have a steel mandate a no-tox mandate. Everybody else shoots lead. Right or wrong, that's all they got is lead. And we're shooting two and three-quarter inch target loads, uh, metric fives, which are close to a six, and choke right, that's what we're shooting ducks with, and killing them. And, uh, and you know, it's, 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 it's the, the opportunity to use boss copper-plated, and that's the big distinction, that copper-plated 5, Imperial 5, 1,300 feet, 1,350 feet per second, ounce and a quarter, still fives. those little shorties. Uh, it has breathed life back into my, my papa's gun. I went out this year with, with that old uh, 70s era eight, uh, 1,100 shot, shot Mallards. And, and, you know, our granddads were good shots, but they had good guns and they were shooting the right stuff. But, but where, where Boss Shot Shell speaks to me beyond performance, all of a sudden, 30 years later, here comes this company saying two and three-quarter inch of whoop ass. But, but their mantra is know your pattern, ethical shots, clean kills. That, that's, a, that's a real different marketing narrative than what all the other ammo people are coming at. You know, and so that, I, that's, that's really uh, – for the last couple of years, I, I have sunk my teeth into ball shot shells. I've shot it I've shot it side-by-side, apples-to-apples comparisons with lead in other parts of the world. Um, I, I've shot it at home. I, I shoot it religiously at home. And, and, you know, it's more expensive than Federal Blue Box or Kent Shock shells. There's no doubt about it. It's more expensive. But, you know what, as much money and time as we spend duck hunting – and how increasingly it's a play-for-keeps game. Uh, No errors, play-for-keeps, make it happen. You know, that little bit more money is, to me, inconsequential. It's it's it's, it's that little bit of edge that that, that I like to have going into a hunt this day and age. So I I shoot ball shots here. Sorry for the long answer. (laughs) I had to fly off
1: into it. Awesome. No, that's great to hear. Uh, so, I think we picked up from that. You shoot, you shoot fives, um, boss fives for, for ducks?
2: Mostly, mostly. And uh, I, I do like the three inch, ounce and a half loads. I, I have shot big geese with that. And, and really, uh, the threes, that three or three five matrix for, for big Canada's or mixed bag hunts is pretty good. And, and there's one spot to hunt up in Saskatchewan. It's pass shooting. It, it's an amazing, amazing stretch of river that at times will hold. And it's a refuge. Seven hundred and fifty thousand speckle bellies and sandhill cranes, and, and and all the locals around there pass shoot, and uh, you have to. So that's how we hunt. And in that situation, uh, I do like to step up to the copper plated twos, three inch copper plated twos, uh, and a tighter choke. Now I usually I'll usually shoot day in day out uh, with, with, with ball shot shells. If, if if I'll shoot a, a factory mod or a factory improved mod, sometimes full, depending on what the wind and the average distance and the birds are doing, the size of the birds, I'll shoot one of those chokes. Uh, if I'm shooting steel shot, and it, it's been a while now, but but uh, for steel shot, any shot size, ounce uh, and a quarter, I really like uh, I really like a light mod or, or that Rob Roberts T2 out of a Benelli. I I think that's dope for steel shot but when i'm shooting boss shot shells it's just like going back to lead Uh, i've got to i've got to really tighten up that pattern and and check it down range just like we ought to be checking everything we're shooting at ducks Uh, and, and just be sure i've got the pattern uniformity i want
1: awesome and then uh then from that uh what what's um what's your favorite uh terrain to hunt I like cypress breaks.
2: You know, I love flooded timber. I, I will not deny. I do like green timber a few times I get to hunt it, um, but I really, really like cypress timber and uh, the right cypress timber. And I'm speaking deep south at home. I, I, there's just something about it. I like it. It, it these old ox bows full of cypress timbered breaks. Uh, they tend they tend to be very natural. You know, they, they, uh, some years they dry up, some years they're wetter. They, they've got a, a, an abundance of submerged aquatic vegetation. I like to hide in all those shadows. Um, and, and so along those lines, uh, overall, I like natural habitat. I, 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 I like natural marshes, natural breaks. I like natural,
1: vibrant habitats. Um, but cypress, yeah, I like it the most. Awesome. Almost sounds like there's not a place you don't like to hunt.
2: <laughs> no, there's not like I like anywhere there's a
1: duck flying. There you go. And then uh, beard or no beard? <laughs> no beard.
2: I, I wouldn't grow but half of one if I tried. You know, I was I was involved in a home <laughs> explosion, so uh, I, 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 I'd look good on my left side. and Pretty bare on the right if I, if I tried to grow one. Uh. And I don't I don't use face paint. It's, I don't have anything. I don't have anything against that. I really don't. Uh, I think it's effective, and I think there's a lot of situations that you should wear. I mean, most of us want to look at ducks you know, when they're working, uh, so we probably ought to face paint up, but I, I didn't grow up that way. My people did paint their faces or darken their faces, so I don't. I just uh, I peer at them from, from the shadow, from, from below the lip of the blind or uh, from around the back of the tree or, or, or just you know from under my belt of my cap. I I just keep my head down when they're working.
1: Am I forgetting any Elliot?
0: No, I think that you got all the normal ones. Awesome. I would say, yeah, and I don't know how he's going to answer this one, but, um, do you have one country other than the U S that is your favorite?
2: Yeah. I uh, push come to shove. I, I really like Argentina. I, I really, truly like Argentina. I spend a lot of time down there. Um, We've got a hunt, and it's not for everybody. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. It's not for everybody. I, uh, we've got a hunt called Las Flores. That's for everybody. It, it's for everybody. Easy to get to, easy hunts. It's a trigger-pulling vacation of every proportion. Um, but my favorite place about seven years ago, I was, I was out just making rounds, just I'm absolutely just flying from the seat of my pants exploring. I had a couple of clients that towed it. Sound like a fun idea to them, so they came along and uh, plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And we found ourselves in one of the most incredibly remote marshes I've ever encountered on earth. It's a very, very, very long drive to get there, and there's no shortcuts. It's just, it's a long, it's an all day drive into this place, and the last. 50 or 60 kilometers is down a dirt road unless it's been raining and then it's mud. Last year it had been raining a lot and it was four wheel drive crawling the entire way. Once you're there, you're at the edge of a 130 square mile marsh. You're five minutes wow. from a duck blind. It's like hunting. Uh, it's the closest thing I can imagine to hunting back in the mid to late 1800s. I, I was at a duck camp in Utah this year that was, been around uh, since the late 18 early 1900s and i got to going through some pre-migratory bird treaty act uh log books you know where the hunters came in and wrote down their bag for the day and uh this would have been about three or four years before the migratory bird treaty act limits and all that good stuff kicked in and and you know the numbers we're shooting down in that particular marsh or in parts of argentina are comparable those numbers and uh but it but the place i I really like to go and uh i say this very sincerely i intend to have my ashes scattered in that marsh it's just it's just it's unlike anywhere i've ever seen of anywhere i've ever been i go out into the marsh with a guide that knows where he's going um very fundamental very basic very skillful he's not a bird boy he's a guide And uh, we go out, and we build a blind, and we hunt. It's just me and him, and it's just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I've never seen or experienced anything (laughs) like it. And and I tell people, look, uh, if numbers aren't your thing, fine, don't shoot them. But, But just by merit of the way the North American plan is for waterfowl, duck hunting is a numbers game. It's absolutely a numbers game. Limits. It's a numbers game. <laughs> and if, But what I enjoy about that is not the bag size. It's the action. It's the duck. It, it's, to be, it's, to, it's, to, it's to be able to sit down and prop my gun up on the blind and pour a cup of coffee and just watch ducks. You know, and then pick my gun back up and shoot them if I want to. It, it's it's just it's just that level. That that's probably my, my that one place on earth is probably uh, my most favorite. I, I really truly just love – It's very very remote. It's very very uh, basic. I, I do bring calls. I do bring a mojo. We we do hunt, but but it's uh you know it's the kind of place that to get out to those those places where we want to hunt in that marsh. Uh, I might walk a half mile. It's not a tough walk, you know, but, but it may be a half-mile trudge, or uh, we may get into a, a skiff and, and, and be pulled by a horse for 30 minutes out into the marsh or um, or push pole or paddle out to where we're going. We don't have but a dozen decoys, which is, think about a dozen decoys relative to a 130-square-mile marsh. But, but mm-hmm. as we start shooting ducks... Now we have more decoys, and uh, I, I just—I really like that. I like—I like that whole—I like that whole experience. So that—that that would be Bar none, my favorite place. Sounds like I I'd like—I'd I'd like to interrupt. Say, well, I've I just got to say this. You know, I, I have this conversation all the time. Uh, everybody that duck hunts in America knows about Argentina. We've all heard of Argentina, and I used to have a friend, a, a very good friend of mine, up in Memphis. He used to say. Uh, there's two kinds of duck hunters: those that have been, those that want to go to Argentina. I believe there's a lot of truth to that. the The deal is this: it's not all created equal, and you know that. You, you know that that duck hunting in different parts of the United States, uh, compared Northern Georgia with Arkansas or Kansas, it's different. It, it's it's some are better than others, and you know even though. Uh, the average hunt in argentina is relatively better than a u.s hunt i feel like most of the argentina hunts down there are not delivering real argentina i just you know i've, I've spent i've spent the last 17 years uh traipsing around argentina for as long as eight weeks and i've seen them i've been there i've been to the different areas i've looked and, and I've just, uh, I feel like our portfolio represents real Argentina. You know, and um, so don't, you know, really ask if, if you guys are, are looking and booking and uh, thinking about going to Argentina, don't, don't think uh, that it's all the same. Because just imagine if you were an Argentine coming to America, having seen satellite television, rich and tone TV, you know, or, or, or some of these shows. And that's what you came expecting, not knowing that that guy in North Georgia was cheaper for a good reason. You know what I'm saying? Because there ain't no duck to speak of compared to Arkansas. You know, just – you got to beware. That's my world. I I don't know much in this world, but that's what I know, is just finding and doing these good duck hunts. So beware.
1: Awesome. Well, I mean – definitely covered a lot but i feel like we we only covered the <laughs> the tip of the iceberg on on this podcast with you man um and you definitely have some some really cool stories and uh you know before before the podcast started you told us if we we handed you the mic you'd you'd walk uh, across the stage with it and keep on talking and uh <laughs> you definitely held yeah. uh, held true to that and um uh, man <laughs> there's, there's some some awesome wow. stories there and um yeah go ahead
2: I talk, I talk for a living, so I, I just, you know, people, you know, it, it's the truth, though. It, it, it's, uh, we, my wife and I, it's not just what we do, it's all we do. Uh, she, she's my business partner, my life partner, my business partner, and uh, she is the brains of the operation. You know, I'm, I'm a big-picture guy. She's a fine, detailed person, uh, and, and this travel stuff that we do is very, very detailed-oriented, uh, you know. You think of the flight numbers and the times and the just the whole a folder. You just think about it. you're going to a foreign country that requires visas and travel and hotels and pickup times and delivery times. And you know one little typo, one single little miscommunication, and you're stuck in an airport without anybody picking you up or you don't have hotel reservations or something. You know, it, it, it requires a lot of detail and a lot of thinking. And our clients are going on vacation. We do this for a living. And, um, but, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's a process and something we do, but we we love it. We, you know, I talk for a living because practically 24-7, 365 days a year, I'm on the phone talking to clients that are traveling, talking to clients that are that are looking at hunts, talking to clients that are trying to import birds, talking to clients or outfitters. Uh, about various and sundry things so I, I get a little practice talking i hate to just take a mic and walk across the stage but i guess it's what i do
1: well you, you do it good that's for sure um, and real quick i want to i want to let our listeners know too um you know there's some awesome films that, that you put out uh over on your youtube channel is there anywhere else they can find them i know also you you put out a lot of content when you're out um, certain places across the the globe where you're hunting and you're doing a lot of instagram stories so go ahead uh let people know where they can f- they can find that as well, well as... I, go ahead I,
2: I appreciate you mentioning that uh, I, uh short story long I, i'll i'll say it this way uh a year or two ago uh, i began a relationship with jake latondras latondras media collective and uh he's a, he's a very gifted videographer and he just gets what we're trying to do so we started we started documenting a lot of the hunts uh internationally but also locally um we started filming them and and building a a, a body of short films uh, i think we've released four maybe five we filmed uh, about eight or ten more we've got three or four more big ones scheduled and I, I'll, t- I'll tell y'all i told jake I said, jake i'm not uh I'm not the star of a show. I'm not a celebrity. That, that's not my cup of tea. He said, well, I don't get it, man, because, you know, you're, you're going to be in the show. I said, yeah, 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 but, but I, I'm not the star. I'm just the narrator. The star of the show is, is the, the species or the hunt or the location or the people or their stories or the culture. I mean, it, it's so much more than this. I want, I want to depict the true unvarnished story of duck hunting worldwide. You know, and, and I think that as you start to watch these films, you, you see a lot of a lot of differences in where you hunt, but you see a lot of similarities. Again, that universal truth in duck hunting, those hard boiled fundamentals, and uh, and so we began that project like that, and it really kind of took an interesting turn. The first place we went was Australia, uh, which I absolutely love Australia and love Australian duck hunters. It is much like. The United States duck hunting culture is anywhere I've ever been on Earth. They, those are really really nice guys and very serious duck hunters. Mud boats, black labs. Except you're hunting in flooded timber, you know, uh, big big swamp gums, you know, six meters thick, and you're decoying Pacific black ducks in through the timber. And as you're walking through the swamp and you bust out a herd of deer, it's not deer, it's kangaroos. I mean, it's just it's just a real incredible country and we had, we had completed filming for the week, had some really, really good footage and uh, Jake was putting up his equipment and he says, is there anything else you need to say or do before I pack up? I said, yeah yeah, I, I, I've i been thinking about this so we, we kind of got set up and it had occurred to me that morning, which was an incredible, they, they got a duck down there called a hardhead, it's a white-eyed duck, you think of it as a maroonish scot it's a poacher and that is their prize and we had gotten into them thick. um i had shot nearly an entire limit of hard heads it was a beautiful hunt in a beautiful place one of those one of those kind of marshes that you're, you're sitting you know crotch deep in the water and it's just solid submerged aquatic ducks and invertebrates and feed and they're just coming in it's just magical but it occurred to me that morning um I tried to forget, but I couldn't. It just occurred to me midway through the hunt that that was the 36th anniversary of my being involved in a home explosion and damn near dying. I had 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 a, when I was uh, two weeks before my 16th birthday, I had a, I was involved in a home explosion one afternoon. I died that night. Uh, The doctor gave me an 8% chance of, uh, 8% probability of survival, 92 probability of mortality. Somehow I beat the odds. And um, and I, I'd never really talked about that. And I said, well, let me just say this on the camera and, and we, can, we can use it if we want to. And we did. And uh, it, it just, you know, we, we kind of crafted uh, the title, Life Short, Get Ducks, which is something I say a lot for that reason. And we, we cultivated this uh, this film series as Life Short, Get Ducks. Uh, for The last year and a half, two years, I've, I've been on a lot of podcasts like yours. Um, and uh, most prominently I was on a podcast called End of the Line Podcast. Uh, Rocky LaFleur, a friend of mine, and Jake LaTondres, co-host of that same show, talked me into telling uh, the story about being in that home explosion. And I put on some headphones and was talking. I was sitting in my recliner telling this story. And my wife had walked in. we have been married... Uh, 25 years, uh, 20, maybe more than that now, 26 years now. And, uh, dated for four or five years before that. And she had walked in from the grocery store and, and I hadn't heard her come in, where she sat down and listened to a lot of this podcast. And after we got done recording, I hung up. She was right there. I didn't realize she'd come in and she said, how have I known you for 30 years? And I've never heard parts of this story. I said, I don't know. My kids had never heard it. I, you know, just what's to talk about? You know, get busy living or get busy dying. I've been busy living until these boys taught me to tell them that story. And um, man, I heard and up in the in the in the months after that, couple of podcasts. I heard from a high school principal I heard from kids I went to high school with thirty something years ago I heard from college friends I heard from neighbors I heard from people around town I heard from newspaper reporters i I heard from a lot of people that had seen us in uh, social media or on mojo TV or something but had never never noticed uh, those scars and and in some ways it was it was it was it was a it was uh, it was good felt good to tell that story after all those years and it touched a lot of people life is short you know and if 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 duck hunting is not your escape and what you just get into if it's golf if it's fishing if it's anything do it because life is short there's no guarantees. and uh and i learned that at a very tender age but that's that's kind of where that film is going and we we have uh I think we've aired four or five of them. We try to we try to put out four or five a year, and uh, but we've recorded some doozies. We've got Azerbaijan, South Africa, Nebraska, Mississippi, uh, Alaska self hunt, uh, another Argentina hunt. We've got Peru coming up. We've also recorded Alberta. We've got Ontario coming up. Maybe a couple of Ontario film projects coming up. Peru. Uh, And then down the road, we will be in Mongolia and Pakistan and just practically everywhere we've been. And and throughout the U S It just the the sphere, just the the story keeps getting bigger and bigger as we get into it. Uh, I went on from telling that initial story on the end of the line podcast to recording weekly with them for uh, until about until December when uh, they just quit airing the episodes. And so we, we've, we've, Are starting, uh, we're working with Ben Page, who is also a podcast host like y'all. He's got Foul Front podcast, and uh, he's our producer. And our first episode should air next week. Uh, Totally different format than this one. This is a great format. There's a lot of good waterfowl-related formats out there. You know, the, the story of duck hunting, the topics in duck hunting are so broad. Nobody, no one person can cover it. And uh, our, our, our niche is a little bit different. It's a little bit of storytelling, um, like I've done tonight. Um, some stories, true stories. But it's a lot of, uh, you know, as somebody that talks and travels, that travels 200, 250 days a year, that, that talks to duck hunters all year, outfitters all year, I have some pretty, pretty, I meet some pretty interesting people. I meet some pretty darn interesting people. And just imagine <clears throat> just the Think about the conversations you hear around the dinner table at hunting camp or in a duck blind, and 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 then apply that 150 200 times a year or some of the conversations you have. And so, the format of what we're doing in the uh, podcast entitled "Duck Season Somewhere" that's our, our slogan. This "Duck Season Somewhere" with get dot com. Uh, we're having those conversations. Uh, The first episode is going to be uh, Take place in Utah It's part three of a five part Series of of out there In the Great Salt Lake area And I'll tell you The next three episodes are going to be Really really good The the last two especially are two of my favorite uh, From Utah and then we've got A bunch of recordings that have taken place At conventions and uh, Around around the world And uh, so you know if y'all don't mind listening to my accent and, and some of these stories, by all means, tune in, you know? Awesome. awesome.
0: Yeah, that's great. Ben is a buddy of ours, uh, so we're really familiar with him. So that's a great to hear that you guys are collabing there and working together.
2: I'm sure I'll see y'all. You know, we all met. I remember meeting y'all at Game Fair. Yep. And I was I was hanging out with Ball Shot Shelf. I remember we all like, went out and ate dinner that night. And uh, so, so I, I was excited when y'all called. You know, golly, it's like I keep like, like I said already before. You know, you never know what the next phone call, the next, you know, what's gonna happen next. Right about time you think you've seen and it, done it all. You know, I had no idea there were so many serious, hardcore duck and goose hunters in the state of Minnesota. Until I went to game fair, it was unbelievable, man. It, it was. Uh, we're going to be back up there this year. Uh, we're, we're we're actually going to have a little booth, uh, kind of hubbed up in that same neck of the wood we were hanging out last year. But we're, we're going to be there both weekends and the weekend. But it, I, I do. I love Minnesota. I don't think I could take you alls winter. I'm. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm. Gonna, I'm going to bare my soul. There ain't no way I could take you alls winter. But uh, but I sure like Minnesota. I I think it's uh, one of the most beautiful states in the country, especially in the fall and spring when
1: I'm up there. Heck, yeah. And uh, a, a little uh, number with that Minnesota. Minnesota is actually the the state with the most duck hunters in the country, which uh, I was uh, was news to me, too, recently um, I, with that number. Being I, I wouldn't
2: like, have believed it. I would not have believed it until I went to game fair, and I'm like, holy cow, there's some duck hunters up here. You oh, yeah. know, and, and and just some good, you know. And again, uh, I don't know who these buttheads are on the internet, you know, that always start drama and carrying on on social media because it's somebody that <laughs> that spends so much time in the duck blind with so many duck hunters over the course of the year. Most of them are good people. I yeah. mean, great people. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I <laughs> I think they turn Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Some of them <laughs> do when they get on the internet
1: or something. You know, cause I don't mean bad <laughs> duck hunters yeah you know I think most of them probably come from Kansas, but you know that's just my concern. <laughs> <laughs> most oh of the goodness. good ones,
0: most of the good ones come from Kansas
1: <laughs> <laughs> i I'm from yeah. Indiana Elliot's from Kansas, so I gotta give him a little ah. a little jab there. <laughs> I'll say I'll
2: say that I've never shot a duck in Indiana, and I, that's 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 uh, <laughs> my my, my short term goal is, is to shoot a duck in all fifty states. So uh, we'll come on I, over. I actually, I, I'd love to. Well,
0: where, Jordan's where, never where, where shot a duck from, uh, in Indiana either. Have <laughs> you ever heard of Kank,
1: Kankakee Marsh in Indiana? Have you ever heard of that? Or uh, yeah, no, I've been there, um, but I've not shot a duck there yet. I've only been there a couple times.
2: Well, it's only 1% of the marsh remaining, from what I understand. I, I, I became aware of it while I was in Utah doing a little bit of historical research uh, and ran across that topic. And, man, I was astounded to learn that, you know, that, that's where a lot of that good uh, agricultural ground is. And mm-hmm. they, 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 they brought the drag lines in and drained 99% of that back in the late 1800s. And yep. it was just shocking to me to realize – that when they drain that marsh, biologists estimate that the entire North American continent suffered a 25% decline in migratory birds that year. That's astounding.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a shame. I mean, it used to to be the largest interior wetland in the U.S. Um, Largest interior wetland, yep. And, uh, yeah, they just, uh, like you said, they dug a ditch. Straight from the marsh all the way to the, to the border with Illinois. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I wish. Uh,
2: so where, so where do you hunt in Indiana now? How, how do y'all hunt? Where do you hunt in Indiana now?
1: Um, just anywhere we can. Um, you know, from public small public marshes to the rivers to dry fields. Um, just a, a good mix of anything, any anything I can uh, scout, find birds and get permission on, or if it's public, scout and you know beat out the rest of the people. I'm gonna hunt it.
2: You know, uh, in Mississippi especially, it, it's, it seems to be predominantly private land. Private land is just a real, real southern concept, I think. At least that's what we learned in law class in forestry school. Um, but, but I cut my teeth on public land. That That's how I started duck hunting, was public land hunting. And I, I think there's no shame in it. I really, truly think that, public land hunting makes you a better hunter i re- you've got you know you've got competition and, and you've really got to play a smart game a clean game a competitive game mm-hmm. and uh and, and i and i i would i would wish that on anybody that wants to become a better duck hunter is is learn to hunt public wherever you're located yeah
1: yeah there's definitely a lot of a lot of uh joy that goes into that competition as well with the public land game i agree too.
2: I, I, you know, I've never had a competitive bone in my body.
1: Um, <laughs> football,
2: organized sports, I, I, I just, I, I didn't, I wasn't competitive until uh, I was younger, much younger, about my son's age, and was hunting on public land, and I became competitive. I wanted to get those ducks. You know, That'll yeah, I'll do
0: it. <laughs> there's a rush with public, public land hunting. I'll tell you, there's definitely an adrenaline rush about it. It is. It's Find, finding your it. spots, beating people to it—it's—it's—it's it's re, it's rewarding and frustrating both. Highs and lows.
2: It can be, you know, but but sometimes you, you are out there hunting public land, and your neighbors. Uh, it, it's easier to get along and work together than it is to play against each other, you know. And I remember those days, but I also remember many, many years ago. I can remember my grandfather driving to a public boat ramp. Back in the late 70s, and getting out, and uh, you know, a lot of those old guys wouldn't launch their boat until it was light enough to see, because the ducks don't come until some of those habitats, uh, you know, the mallards especially don't start coming in until 8 or nine o'clock. And but I can remember, you know, grown men back in those days. Not to say it took place like this everywhere on, on, in America, but but I can remember those men sitting at the boat ramp smoking cigarettes shaking hands introducing themselves and oh oh you want to go over there well you go over there and we'll go over here and just sorting it out like gentlemen you know and uh, I, I i maybe i'm getting old uh i do have i'm, I'm a duck hunter I, i'm an eternal optimist I, i've got i like people and i have faith in humanity i i really truly do but Man, I tell you, as I get older, I do become a tad more cynical. Maybe it's what what I see posted a lot on the Internet, or uh, maybe it's some of the behavior I see or, or think I see. And it, and it just seems, that, uh, it seems to me that there seems to be uh, a lot less respect uh, for other people on public land, or, or maybe not just on public land, but in life in general sometimes. And I've always felt strongly that people that disrespect others don't fully respect themselves. And if you don't respect yourself or others, how can you possibly respect the resource? You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
0: And I mean, Yeah, you know, I, I'm a 99, 99% public uh, duck hunter here in Kansas. And, and uh, my philosophy is that when I see guys out in the field, whether it's, at the boat ramp or actually out in the marsh, I, d- I go directly to them and uh, not confront them, but talk with them and say, here's what we're trying to do. What are you guys trying to do? And I will tell you the, the vast majority of guys, if you walk to them and with a smile and talk to them, they will work with you and um, yeah and 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 be okay. There's a very there are some that you come up to that'll just say like, you know, I don't care what you you know, but the vast majority of guys if you if you engage them and talk to them, they're okay. they're okay.
2: I tell you I, you know along those lines, I, I remember a uh, guy, it's been a while. Uh, my youngest son and I, and one of my friends and uh, his son, and one of his friends and two of his sons. We all went to North Dakota to do that. That real early, uh, late August. It's it early Canada goose season in late August. It was hot the bird. You no, know, the moat migrators weren't down or whatever. We went out there hunting with some friends, and uh, they told us to get a good night's sleep. That they were going to go sit on a field that they had found, and uh, we got up next morning, drank coffee, and getting the truck. And he calls and says something it, Yeah, well, somebody else is driving in and they're wanting the field and they're a little sideways and Caddy Corner. I said, what do you mean? He says, just if you come into the field and we're all still here, you know, don't be surprised if somebody throws a punch. I'm like, good mm-hmm. Lord, you got to be kidding me. Really? He goes, man, it, it's it, these guys are riled up. They want us gone. And uh, we show up. And there were, uh, I don't know, three or four of them, some brothers and brother in laws, you know, and uh, and one of them, I think, was retired military, maybe a policeman. Uh, he was the biggest of the bunch, and he he was he was a little riled. He 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 didn't want to, you know. And I did. I walked up, and I shook his hand, I introduced myself, and I said, you know, uh, how many geese did y'all see out here yesterday? And you know, a bunch, bunch of geese. And I said, "Well, y'all plus us, why don't we hunt together? If there's that many geese here, why why are we fighting? Why why is anybody standing here? Gonna leave and not shoot birds this morning? Why don't we all hunt together? And uh, and we did. And you know, uh, I became friends with those guys. We we all became friends. It was fun, you know. And it's just." Man, we all won that day. You know what I'm saying? We all had a great hunt. They had a great hunt. We had a great hunt. We all worked together like like one big unit, and and the geese paid rent. And it was just an absolute mm. amazing hunt. You know, it, it's just life's too short, man. Duck hunting's too short. You know, to to, to create problems that can be avoided like that. But that that was a very memorable time. We we were essentially hunting public in North Dakota and. Um, Two parties wanted the same field. We had the right. Our guys were there first, but why? Here's some fellow goose hunters, man. And, and, you know, we became friends. I still keep up with those guys in uh, in social media. You know, we're, we're friends on Facebook. And I, I Man, one of them has since had a, had a bunch of kids, and, uh, you know, they've all gotten older, but we're all still friends, man. Sometimes
0: yeah, if you, you approach people in a very friendly way, it's hard for them to be aggressive.
2: And I agree. Some people will try to be, but but you know, uh, it takes two to tango. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and somebody somebody's got to be the got to be the good guy and and, uh, and and shake hands and smile, just like you said. And I think it's uh you can avoid conflict a lot of times doing that.
1: Awesome, definitely definitely agree with all that there for sure. Well, I think uh you know this is probably a perfect time to go ahead and and wrap this up. Um. It's been an awesome podcast having you on. Here, really appreciate you sharing uh your stories um from, you know, here in the US all the way to uh halfway across the globe and, you know, uh definitely definitely we need to have you on again. Um, you know. I'd love to. I think we definitely uh, only hit the iceberg the tip of the iceberg on this and there's so many more uh, I'm I'm sure there's so many more stories you got um that need to be I would told. love
0: to have you on sometime and just have you go through the next time you're on a trip, like from start to end, um, what takes place on a trip to like Mongolia? Or, I think that would be fascinating. Next time you're on,
1: oh yeah,
2: that that would be a uh, yeah. I've never done that before. That'd be that'd be a good idea, you know. Awesome. I, I, I can I can tell you one thing about a trip like Mongolia, and I'll save this for that for that story is. Uh, don't go through China with 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 firearms, uh, and expect it to go as planned all the time. I'm gonna tell you what you did. Everybody wants to be Ramsey Russell until it's time to spend nine hours in a Beijing airport.
1: Um, that was a mess, but but we can talk about that later. Awesome. We'll definitely uh, get you booked on. Um, you know, as soon as we get off this recording, we'll get you booked on for the next one because I'm I'm looking forward to it already. Um, but as we're signing off here, um, go ahead and let people know. Everywhere they can find you, from your social media links to your website, uh, you name it.
2: Yeah, man. I've, uh, our website is getducks.com. Uh, getducks.com on on Facebook, Instagram uh, is is the, is where I spend most of my time. Ramsey Russell Get Ducks at Ramsey Russell Get Ducks is our Instagram account. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel. All of these videos, all of our testimonial, all of all of our video stuff ends up on YouTube been on our web page on instagram television and places like that uh, but just google ramsey ross lock come up somewhere
1: awesome awesome Alrighty, well let's go ahead and sign off i'm jordan from ducking chronicles elliot from freelance ducking and rusty Ramsell from GetDucks.com. and we'll see you guys on the next one